Welcome to part two of this Lifestyle and Cancer podcast with Professor Robert Thomas. This is a Q&A where Rob answers your questions on all aspects of lifestyle and cancer. I hope you enjoy it. So welcome back, Rob. Thank you. Um, so this part of the episode, part two, is a listener Q&A where some people have written to me or have approached some people who have listened to the podcast before and they wanted to ask you some questions. Um, Linda has asked, we have physical tests for certain cancers, for example, prostate, testicular and breast cancer. What are the signs and symptoms of other cancers that we should be looking out for? The general rule is if you if something unusual is happening to you and you can't explain so if you get a, a lump if you start coughing up blood or having blood in the urine or stool or generally feeling sick or losing weight for some unknown reason that should be investigated um, if you see something in your breast or uh, a change in a skin mole is the, is the other thing to look out for okay Chloe has asked, is there a blood test that we could use to check for cancers annually? It would be nice to have a single test. You could go to the doctor and say you haven't got cancer. And there are things which people are trying to discover, looking at circulating cancer cells, etc. in your blood. But uh, no, the answer is at the moment, no. You can have a, men can have a PSA blood test. And, and that's that, prostate-specific antigen. That's, that's yeah. right, Ben. And, and if it's very raised, it could indicate you have prostate cancer. Um, they, there are some screening for, obviously, mammogram for breast cancer, and we certainly recommend women going on these. There's, there's bowel screening, so you have a look for blood in the stool, and I think that's, um, that's going to the age of that is going to be dropping. I think it's 60 at the moment. Um, but other than that, you can have your skin screened you know you go to a dermatologist now and again in fact there might be an automated program coming out which would allow you to do that an app you could just shine it in your skin and see if your moles are casting uh, becoming cancerous or not um that would be very convenient it would wouldn't it and uh, so yeah but other than that um uh, the, the preventative measure measures apart from lifestyle would be um you know to make sure you get vaccinated against hpv uh, go for your cervical screening, um, smear tests, etc. Fantastic. So the next question, Ella, who's asked, how are treatments progressing overall? And if I had to that, um, what's the most exciting area of treatment progression? Um, well, oncology actually is becoming very exciting as a specialty. Uh, I'm very feel very privileged to be in it at the moment because virtually every aspect of it is is being um there's new discoveries being disco uh, published every every month uh, radiotherapy for example where it's been much more targeted people are going through uh, curative courses with minimal side effects now um, in terms of hormone treatments they're being enhanced with n new drugs called cd4 uh, inhibitors um Less so with chemotherapy. In fact, we're moving away from chemotherapy and more into the biological treatments. Um, and there are things called PD-1 inhibitors, sorry about mm -hmm. the long names, for melanoma. When people, you know, even two or three years ago, were having a life expectancy of a few months suddenly going, going into complete remission. I mean, these are amazing new drugs. Um, as someone who's interested in lifestyle and functional medicine, however... I'm also very excited because where previously we were on the periphery of, of uh, 
conferences and things and people sort of gave us a little bit of lip service and thought we were slightly quacky they're now realizing that uh, the importance of lifestyle medicine is even greater in the era of bi of biological treatments because what these treatments do is enhance our own immunity to recognize a cancer cell as foreign and attack it so if your immunity is not um, optimal you these drugs are not going to work so we're now in the era of pre um, or the next exciting era, we're just in the, in the start of it, is that patients might have to have a prehabilitation lifestyle program before starting these immunotherapies. Because if you start them with, say, poor gut health or a, a poor diet, you, you not only don't respond, you actually get terrible side effects to them. But if you're healthy, you have low inflammation, you, you respond well and you tolerate them better. And great for the patients and obviously the, the pharmaceutical companies are recognizing this now because of these things are over a hundred thousand pounds a year and if they're getting a, a you know twice the number of people responding that's big bucks for them so they're on board the, the functional medicine uh, program as well so that's uh, yeah it's exciting times absolutely and just to add my own question to that is that because of vitamin deficiencies correcting those would help to promote the effectiveness of the cancer therapy um it's, it's mainly that you want your immune system to be working well. So you don't want the immunity to be uh, clogged up with creating chronic inflammatory uh, cytokines, they're called. So if, you know, if you're eating a, a carcinogenic diet, you know, lots of burnt meat, which are pro-inflammatory, if you're eating too much sugar, which is uh, damaging your gut health, uh, you're, you're using up your, your immune uh, tools incorrectly. So uh, it's, 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 you want your immune system to be um, to target the enemy, which is the cancer cell. And that's, that's all about a lifestyle. Will asks, uh, can you tell us some more why certain foods are so powerful at reducing cancer growth and progression? And he's put an example here, broccoli. Um, yeah, so up to now in the program, we've been talking about bad foods, sugar, yeah. burnt meat, etc., um, but, you know, let's be optimistic. There are lots of foods that are really healthy. Broccoli is, is fantastic. It's full of sulfurophane and f uh, something, a polyphenol called um, indole-3-carbonyl. And these um, polyphenols, we know from laboratory studies, will not only um, reduce inflammation, they have direct effects on the progress of cancer cells. So they reduce proliferation, they encourage cancer cells to die in a process called apoptosis. And they, again, um, improve gut health, which will make the immunity more efficient, so allow them to, to, um, to identify cancer cells and, and uh, as I just mentioned, allow um, immunotherapies to work better. And we know that they, are, they work not only from laboratory studies, but, for example, we've, um, we did a study where we got... Um, broccoli, green tea, turmeric and pomegranate uh, um, which were of particularly sort of good quality and they had no pesticides and things and we concentrated that in a pill and we randomised that against placebo and we did an experiment in men with prostate cancer and saw a very significant reduction in, in the progress of their cancer and that actually was, was the first study to show you could intervene with a nut nutritional supplement or a whole food supplement and see an outcome and we're 
we're designing a number of other um, subsequent studies along those lines. Uh, so in, as well as enhancing, um, you know, the, or telling people to eat healthily and exercise, etc., it may be possible to intervene with selected supplements to further enhance that benefit. Fantastic. And is that supplement available to people? Yes. When we did the, the trial, which was, I think, about five or six years ago, we had to we uh, it was actually a government run study through an organization called National Cancer Research Network. And we did a literature search of all the foods which we felt had the best anti-cancer properties. So uh, turmeric, and you know everyone knows about turmeric now, um, um, tea, um, broccoli, and pomegranate. But there were, were lots of others in the same sort of category, but those are the four we, we, we thought had the biggest likelihood of an improvement. But we had to find someone to make that supplement and we, 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 to, to a quality which was required within a clinical trial. So it had to be very um, very high levels of polyphenols etc uh, once the trial finished it was sort of snapped up to be honest the supplement by a Swiss drug company called Helsin who now make it um, to a very good standard I have to say uh, and they distribute it around the world and it's called the named after the trial called the POMI T supplement fantastic I'll put everything that we've spoken about today in the show notes Julian has written in and asks, what is the best diet for people undergoing radiotherapy and chemotherapy? I guess conventional treatment overall. Um, with radiotherapy, sometimes people are given a, a strange diet to reduce the amount of gas in their gut, especially if it's for the prostate. So you have to stick to that plan, I'm afraid. Um, for chemotherapy, um, yes, I mean, it, I, would, I would avoid sugar uh, because you're often, for the, for the reasons we talked about fasting, um, the opposite to fasting is is basically having lots of sugar. So um, you know, you're you're. I would would definitely avoid cakes, biscuits, sweets. In fact, um, many patients are given a bag, a goodie bag, when they're on chemotherapy, and that goodie bag um, it often contains sweets. In fact, we discovered one about six months ago in our cancer unit, and there was very unpopular by confiscating it um, so I uh, and the other thing with with sugar of course it can increase uh, dental caries you have to be very careful about um, the, the teeth during chemotherapy it can um, they can they can fall out and you have to give bone hardening drugs sometimes which can damage the jaw especially if you have dental caries and we know that uh, dental caries promotes inflammation as well all the things which are bad so I would say sugar number one avoid lots of polyphenol rich foods herbs spices fruits and vegetables that sort of thing fantastic um, Ben asks if you have already undergone conventional therapy I assume it's what we just talked about mm. radiotherapy and chemotherapy is it less effective after a reoccurrence um, cancer people think of cancer as one entity even breast cancer is probably 26 different types so you can't um, you can't say, well, you know, I've had chemo, so therefore you can't have a subsequent. It depends on the tumor you've got. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, of course, um, if you, if you say just talking about chemo, if you've had it already, each subsequent time you have it, it's less likely to be effective. But we're now looking at different treatments afterwards. So we might have had chemo the first time, and then you'll go into a, a hormone like treatment the second time and you might have a biological the third time 
And of course, with these new biologicals, it, it's an unknown. I mean, many patients might well be put into remission for many years, if not the, the rest of their life. So I wouldn't be despondent about the future in many cases. Another listener asked, can the ketogenic diet be beneficial for cancer? As cancer generally metabolizes sugar to grow. Um, yeah, we, we shouldn't, um, we should get away from the term, you know, cancer cells like sugar and normal cells don't, because that's, uh, and many people quote that against nutritionists, cause, but we haven't said it, right? The, the ketogenic diet um, is good in some ways in that it promotes reducing sugar and processed carbohydrates, which I've already said are bad. Those things deteriorate gut health promote inflammation it's bad however in the sense that it's promoting too much meat and it tells people often to reduce fruit now fruit contains some sugar but whole fruit also contains polyphenols and fiber minerals and vitamins which are very healthy and protect you from cancer in fact fruit intake has no influence on the development of diabetes for example um, whereas processed sugar does and the ketogenic diet tells you not to eat fruit. So that's one thing I totally disagree with. Secondly, um, it's, it's actually um, Warburg, the Warburg effect in 1920, um, his, his, uh, his hypothesis was incorrect. He said that um, cancer cells can only use sugar to, uh, to form energy because when you, a cell forms energy, there's three pathways. There's glycolysis, the Krebs cycle, and Oxfos, it's called. And cancer cells do prefer to use the first part, the glycolysis, because it's actually a quick pathway for energy. The same way if you cut yourself, your proliferating cells in your skin will also try to use glycolysis because it needs energy quickly. And that's using glucose to create exactly. energy. Exactly, yes. glucose. However, cancer cells are very smart. If you reduce glucose, they will switch to ketones, they will switch to, uh, from fatty acids, and they will switch to proteins. They can use what they want, they just prefer sugar. So it's actually fundamentally flawed, the whole hypothesis. The reason why the keto probably helps people, and it does in some, as I said just now, is it reduces the processed carbs and the sugar. So my take on that is reduce those things, keep your keep your fruit intake and increase your polyphenols and that would be the perfect diet another listener asks is there any advice that you can give for those with reoccurring cancer and foreseeing the cyclical nature of it i assume this is because it it reoccurs every so often yeah i mean look you have to go to a you know a good oncology team i mean there are new drugs coming out all the time um you know some cancers have a high recurrence rate uh, obviously what we do what, what I do, another oncologist in, in my day-to-day -day life, is to try to stop the cancer coming back first time, you know, by giving adjuvant treatments. Um, but, um, you know, if you've got a high-risk breast cancer or a high-risk bowel cancer, I'm afraid, that, you know, there, it's, there, there is a chance of it coming back. All you can do is follow the, as well as having the medical treatments, is follow the functional medicine advice which you're advocating, Ben. You know, all the things we've talked about, exercising, getting vitamin D, reducing sugar, eating lots of polyphenols. And there are data, lots of data that it will reduce your relapse rate. Um, so it's, it's hard to be positive sometimes if your cancer is coming back. But, um, um, you know, the, the, it is, you, you know, you, 
It's not all the power in your own hands, but you can be empowered to improve your odds for sure. Another question is, what is the first thing that we should all do for our health after being diagnosed with cancer? Well, it's a, it's, it's a traumatic time being diagnosed with cancer. And obviously, it depends what cancer you, you've got and what treatments they are advising. I mean, the first thing is to try and get your head around it and cooperate with the doctors and go through all the medical treatments. But in, in yourself, if you're, if you're overweight, obviously try to reduce your weight. If you drink too much alcohol or smoke, uh, well, first cut out smoking altogether and with alcohol significantly reduce it. Look at your diet. You know, I would definitely say cut out processed sugar as a number one. Um, go through, you know, eat, eat um, bacteria-rich food, lots of prebiotic-rich foods, um, and and exercise regularly. I think I would concentrate on those things. I have listed, I mean, I get this question all day long, so to save me going through it every sort of 20 minutes, I have listed on, on the website called cancernet.co.uk UK there's a, is 20 lifestyle tips um, after cancer and, and that just sort of summarizes all the things as well as of course you mentioned the book keep healthy after cancer which which tries to put it into a, a, a caring and logical format fantastic and we've got three last questions for you that I ask everyone who comes on the show and the first one is what is the biggest health change that you have made in your life and why um, I've always been um, exercising a lot, you know, playing rugby before and running and uh, so forth. So I haven't really changed that. It's just getting a bit harder as you get older, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, so that's the one I would continue rather than change. Um, cutting out processed sugar has been a, a big change, actually. Um, f- you know, for example, for breakfast, if you just have a breakfast cereal, which you buy off the shelf, it's got a lot of sugar in. Um, and... Um, changing to a, a completely sugar-free breakfast with lots of nuts and fruit um, has made a big difference. You really notice the difference uh, during the day. You don't feel as tired. You don't get as hungry. Uh, and then two or three days a week, I then do a run or something before lunch to extend extend that sort of daily fasting period. Uh, and that's uh, that's an, that's another one. And also. Um, Following the POMI tea study, I now take lots and lots of polyphenol-rich foods, um, you know, lots of herbs, lots of pepper. Even at lunchtime in the canteen, they, they always raise an eyebrow the amount of pepper I put on my food. Um, um, so, yeah, and, and I'm a lot more than you think. Right. Good to know. How do you think oncology can become more integrated with lifestyle medicine? Um, that is a good question. We shouldn't have oncology in sort of one room and lifestyle medicine in another. It should be integrated. There's a lot of resistance to this still, I'm afraid, amongst uh, a lot of oncology colleagues and healthcare providers because they say it's not their job, etc. Um, the Genesis Care Hospitals, for example, have built gyms next to their chemo suites and radiotherapy units, and that's a really good example so you know people instead of waiting in the waiting room to see the doctor for two hours maybe they should you know go on a treadmill or a exercise bike that would be perfect um to when you before chemo for example we have a information package and that's a perfect opportunity to not just talk about the side effects of chemo but then talk about the other lifestyle factors and certainly in in our unit every patient has a nagging session whatever you want to call to try and improve their 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 lifestyle 
um, choices. Um, but you know, I, I would I would love in a in a utopian society, I would love a nutritionist such as yourself to, to to go out to the to the homes. You know, during chemo or during radiotherapy, look, see what's in the fridge, take them to the supermarket, and and you know, you, you think that's a bit extreme, but you know, the benefits you get from that. Um, will mean they're less likely to relapse, more likely to respond. I mean, I think that would be cost-effective. Fantastic. I couldn't agree more with everything mm. that you've just said. And last but not least, can you please provide the listeners, although you've provided numerous already, with three tips to help improve the health and well-being from today? Can be quick. So my th- three tips would be uh, exercise regularly, cut out processed sugar, particularly on an empty stomach, eat uh, foods which are colourful, full of polyphenols and a a great taste. Fantastic. Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. But before you go, can you please tell the listeners where they can find you and what exciting projects you have coming up? Uh, Well, we've got a number of research projects going on in the Primrose Unit linked with uh, Cambridge and Bedford. And we have uh, some social media avenues. So there's CancerNet UK, which is a if there's a new trial, we'll put it on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, we have a website called keep-healthy.com where we summarise various uh, evidence-based lifestyle tips. Uh, we have a blog called blog.cancernet.co.uk uh, where if we get asked a question, such as you've asked me about fasting during chemotherapy or whether cannabis is a good idea or um, even some examples of exercise, we'll, we will put it on that. Uh, we have a newsletter which goes out four times a year, so it's not particularly bad. So you can sign up to the newsletter on any of those two websites. Uh, and, you know, it's obviously the email is kept confidential. And uh, we like to have things which are, which are topical, uh, which are of interest to people who are going through the experience. Rob, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show again. Um, I've really enjoyed this this recording and I do hope that we can speak again soon. Thank you very much, Ben. Thank you for listening to the Functional Health Podcast. You can find links to everything that we talked about today in the show notes. If you have a second, please consider leaving a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does make a huge difference and helps get this valuable information out and reach more people. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date and know whenever I release a new episode. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or our website, and all questions are welcome. As always, thanks to Joss Aurelia for the editing and Alan Harper for his support.